Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 291 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. We will look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, Jimmy will be answering weird questions for New Year's. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. It's the Friday before New Year's, so is, as is our custom, we're bringing you another episode of Weird Questions with Jimmy and Cy Kellett of Catholic Answers Live. Jimmy, what topics are you going to be answering today? We're going to be talking about baptizing fairies. What does Marvel's soul gym do to the fate of your soul? What happens if to your soul if the Borg assimilate you? Uh, did Adam and Eve poop? Can you baptize an unborn baby? Is it possible to marry an alien? Would time travel cause an alternate universe? What are the implications of deathbed visions? And are there possibly an infinite number of past timelines leading up to the present moment and more? Excellent. Those are interesting questions. So let's listen to your answers. some gentlemen who were just kind enough to send us a, a beautiful theme song with theremin in it as requested. Uh, and it was just a very kind thing to do. And Jimmy Aiken is here with us for Weird Questions with Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Hi, Cy Kellett. Uh, speaking of uh, weird, though, I, I don't know. They're not exactly synonyms, weird and mysterious. But what's uh, on uh, Jimmy Aiken's mysterious world today? This week, we're looking at the apparitions of Our Lady of Cabejo in Rwanda, in oh, Africa. They took place back in the 1980s. And uh, this week, we look at uh, the apparitions themselves. Next week, we look at the genocide that followed after the okay. apparitions. And we look at the evidence from the faith and reason perspective about the apparitions. Very good. All right. Our Lady of Cabejo today on uh, Jimmy Aiken's yeah. Mysterious World. One this the is the on, only approved app, African apparition, by the way. So check it out. Oh, really? That's mm -hmm. interesting. But how far back does this approving of apparitions go? Like, it, there's no like, um, like they, they weren't well, doing this in the first millennium of Christianity, were they? No. I mean, bishops would make statements about apparitions that were reported in their territory. And obviously, oh, yeah. if someone has like a heretical apparition, they oh. always would oh. have denounced that. Right, right. I see. But in terms of the modern system of approval, it's more recent than that. I believe it goes back a few centuries. Um, one of the key works on um, on evaluating private apparitions was written by Pope Benedict XIV, and it's still used today as a key resource. He actually wrote it when he was a cardinal before he was pope, but it's a fascinating read. And these days, the process is governed by a set of guidelines that the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith published in 1978. Ah, gotcha. All right. 
Uh, well, Jimmy, weird questions are submitted to us uh, through various means, but they don't come to us over the phone. And one of the things about when people ask weird questions on the phone is they tend to underestimate how weird we're willing to go. Yeah. So well, true. Also, they tend to think things are weirder than they are. Yeah, right. That's that's right. So uh, w the great benefit of doing w weird questions with Jimmy Aiken and, and getting the, the questions prepared uh, beforehand is we, we know they're pretty weird. we got some weird mm -hmm. questions coming up. Yep. Ready to take one? Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to try to read this big words in this one. I'm going to do my best. <laughs> Perspicacious parent asking a question originally originally posed by Brendan. Whichever of the standard folklore approaches one takes to fairies, it seems like it would be unusual for a fairy to be baptized, which in turn opens up some interesting questions about what's going on with Cinderella having a fairy as a godmother. Oh, I like this. Maybe there's an order of fair folk who returned to the faith, were baptized and do good works on behalf of mortals. They're probably also suspected and persecuted by the institutional church. But Cinderella's family is part of the remnant, which maintains a connection with them. Maybe this also has to do with the step with why the stepmother treats Cinderella badly. The stepmother is an outsider and suspects what's going on in the family history. And she's putting pressure on Cinderella to try to make her renounce her pietism. Which, of course, makes it extremely dodgy to have someone with a fairy godmother marrying into a royal family. There's going to be some resistance to that. Is there reconciliation? Is the country placed under, inter under interdict? Why don't the stories address this stuff? Okay, so... Um Cinderella is a folk tale, and as a result, there have been bunches of different versions of it. In fact, Cinderella seems to be one of the oldest folk tales, and variations on it occur across multiple different countries and cultures, including, I mean, not just in Europe, but all the way over in, like, China. And so it's had a bunch of different variations, and it's not always a fairy godmother. Uh, fairies are sort of a European concept, at least um, the idea of a fairy godmother would be because that's where Christianity spread and you have godmothers in Christianity. Um, but in other versions, it's not a fairy godmother. But in terms of the ones that do have a fairy godmother, um, there are a few interesting things to say. So we, um, perspicacious parent asks on behalf of Brendan about how the, how the royal family would be involved here. You know, if yeah. Cinderella had a fairy godmother and was marrying into the royal family with Prince Charming and then also the church. Well, I don't think the church would be interested in persecuting fairies. Uh, the church is uh, interested in sharing the gospel with everyone it can. And if if a group of people, whether they're fairies or not, wants to be baptized, the church is going to be on board with that. It's going to want to evangelize those people. Mm -hmm. Um Similarly, I don't think a royal family is going to have a problem here because um, according to various accounts, and there are many different accounts of fairies and how what their culture is like, but according to uh, some accounts, they are kind of a military aristocracy. Um, and if I'm Prince Charming and I need to defend my territory and things like that, I would want allies 
who are a supernatural Heck yeah. military military aristocracy that could help me out. I mean, who wouldn't want immortal warriors capable of performing magic on your behalf? So I think that uh, I think that uh, that actually a royal family would be very interested in having out having alliances with fairy folk. Um, in terms of it being unusual for them to be baptized, the tradition is actually mixed on this. If you look in uh, compendiums of fairy lore, in this meaning like not just made up books by modern authors, but ethnological folkloric surveys of what people have believed about fairies, um, fairies actually and their related you know, cousins, trolls and 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 dwarves and things like that um, actually seem to display a rather significant interest in being saved. Um, there are numerous reports of these magical folk coming to humans and asking, is it possible for us to be saved? And they get very upset if you tell them no. Mm -hmm. um, there also are. More. Yeah, um, <laughs> there also are accounts of uh, of fairies confidently asserting their expectation in salvation through Christ. And so th there are traditions that go the other way, but it's actually mixed. So I guess it might depend on the group of fairies you're talking about. If you're interested in reading about uh, the kind of folkloric study of fairy lore that I mentioned, a book you might want to check out is called The Fairy Faith, meaning the fairy belief or belief in fairies. The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries by W.Y. Evans Wentz. Uh, thank you. A good, uh, weird question to start with. We don't get a lot of questions about fairies, and I appreciate it. And I hope that Brendan, especially, is satisfied with that answer. All the questions have come to us via the internet or similar things. Are there things that are similar to the internet? I don't know. Um, the ARPANET, that was the predecessor of oh, the internet that right. was developed by, um, oh, uh, oh, and I'm blanking on the name now, the Research and No Development Corporation. Um, Anyway, yeah. I'm pretty sure you have it, Jimmy. You probably have the ARPANET on your computer. I just I just feel like Jimmy Aiken would have that. Whatever it is, it's on there. Probably uh, still ways of accessing it. Uh, this one comes from William. Okay. I, I yeah, William has a few questions. Oh, the Rand Corporation. Oh, was the Rand Corporation that, that did it? Well, I believe so. Um, but it was the, the ARPANET, which led to the Internet, was developed as a piece of Cold War technology because they were concerned about uh, if nukes start dropping on America, they could knock out telephone communication oh, yeah. systems. And so they wanted a system that would route the messages around the holes that had been punched in the communication network. And that led to the development of email packet technology, where the email gets broken up into different packets that find their own way to the target using whatever routes are available. That is cool. And all, all of that led to me wasting a half hour every morning when I get to work going through mm -hmm. things that Cat I had videos. Yeah, <laughs> I have a few questions. This is William. I have a few questions regarding the soul gem, one of the six infinity gems of the Marvel comics. Of course you do, William. Don't we all here? I am specifically re referring to the comic version versus the film version. I do not know how much you know about the Infinity Gems, so here is some important background info. They were created as part of the universe in the Big Bang. Each allows for complete universal control over a different aspect of the universe. 
power, space, reality, the mind, the soul, and time. Finally, the questions. I'll just do them one at a time for you. All right. Okay. The soul gem, the soul gem can warp and unwarp the soul. This means it can forcefully make beings evil or good. Thanos says, "I can turn sinners into saints and saints into monsters." Question: What effect does this have on free will, the need for God's forgiveness, and purgatory? Well, it would seem that it would override free will, um, at least to a very substantial degree, so that your free will options, if you have any at all, um, remain constrained in or can be constrained in a very narrow range. So that if you had someone who was a saint but and you use the soul gem on them, it constrains them to making choices that are primarily evil or vice versa. And what that will do is change the person's from God's perspective is change the person's level of culpability. Because if someone doesn't genuinely have the freedom to choose good over evil, then the person is not culpable for making the evil choice. And so it would be like someone has a, you know, a brain tumor that causes them to become a murderous psychopath. They're not responsible for their behavior because they didn't choose to have the brain tumor. And so in the same way, if Thanos gives you a spiritual brain tumor that makes you evil, God is not going to punish you for things that you were not responsible for choosing. Um, reward and punishment are uh, based on the degree of freedom you have and how you use it. So, uh, Saints turned monsters will not be punished except for what freedom they had and vice versa. Sinners turned into forcible saints would not get credit for things they didn't actually choose freely. Um, in terms of purgatory, purgatory's function is to cure disordered desires. And if the soul gem was used to give you disordered desires, then purgatory could still clean those up. So let's suppose you're a saint and Thanos turns you into a moral monster. Well, you're not going to go to hell because you weren't responsible for the evil you did. But the soul gem may have left you with disordered desires toward intense evil. And purgatory would be capable of taking care of those. All right. Uh, William also asks, the soul gem can resurrect the dead. Thanos says, and the dead, their souls are also within my control. Question. If someone was in heaven and was resurrected, could they theoretically end up in hell after they die a second time? What about going from hell to heaven? It depends on the degree of freedom that they are brought back from the dead with. If they're brought back from the dead and have no freedom, then they would, the state of their soul would not change. Even if they did good things in life, but with no freedom, they would still go back to hell. Or even if they did bad things in life, but with no freedom, they would still go back to heaven. On the other hand, if they're brought back from the dead with with genuine human freedom, then yes, they could change their destiny. And that actually coheres or would cohere with um, other situations that we know about. I mean, if you think about Lazarus, OK, he was brought back from the dead mm -hmm. and he was a good person. So presumably he was in heaven or on his way there being cleaned up in purgatory. But let's say Lazarus comes back. 
He's functioning as a normal human with normal human freedom. If he decides to reject God and commit a lot of mortal sins, well, even if he went to heaven the first time he was dead, he would go to hell the second time he was dead because he freely chose evil. And the same thing would happen with the widow of Nain's son. Let's say we don't know that he was a good or bad person, but let's say he was a bad person and he was in hell. Well, when he gets brought back to life by Jesus, the widow of Nain's son could say, wow, I don't want to go back to that place. I'm going to repent, at which point he would go to heaven. And in fact, the um, in if you study the literature regarding near-death experiences or NDEs, this is where someone clinically dies and comes back, many people report very positive experiences um, when they were clinically dead, but some come back and report the opposite. They say it was it was bad, and that motivates them to change their lives. In fact, I have a relative who had an NDE, who came back and concluded he was not living the way he should, and he needed to clean up his life as well. So that's something that is reported in other fields. William, thank you uh, for the wait, wait, note. There's one more. Sorry, I, I, I didn't realize another question from William on the uh, the soul gem that Thanos uses in the comics. Uh, could the soul gem fix original sin? Original sin is the deprivation of sanctifying grace. So if the soul gem were to be able to fix original sin, it would have to be able to supply someone with sanctifying grace. On the other hand, a consequence of original, and I don't know of any evidence that it does that. That would be up for Jim Starlin, the comic book writer responsible for all this to determine, does it function that way? On the other hand, it would seem like the soul gym is capable of affecting one's desires. And so it might be able to help with the disordered desires that we have as a result of original sin that would presumably be involved in turning a sinner into a saint. So his desires would change so that they're no longer morally disordered. Now I will say thank you, uh, William. Uh, William, you definitely got the idea. As a matter of fact, our first two callers were quite clear on the idea of weird questions with Jimmy Aiken. Ask your weird questions. And uh, there's pretty much not a, a limit to how weird it can get. Uh, this one comes from Dominic. And thank goodness, a little relief uh, from all the speculation. We're going to talk about something real, the Borg. Uh, Dominic asks, what would happen to your soul if you were assimilated? By the Borg. Let's assume that the cybernetic implants and the nanoprobes keep your body alive indefinitely. You are never killed and you are never rescued. Well, in terms of what would happen to your soul, uh, in some ways, this is quite similar to what happens with the soul gym because um, the Borg override your free will. And so as a result, the state of your soul would become fixed in whatever state it was when you fell under the control of the Borg and lost your free will. Um, it's kind of like, uh, to give an earthly analogy, it's like if you're walking down the street and one day you have a stroke that causes you to go into a coma, well, you don't have freedom when you're in the coma. And so the state of your soul is whatever it was when you had the stroke. Um, if you were in a state of grace, you remain in a state of grace. If you were not in a state of grace, you remain outside of a state of grace. And the same thing would happen with your soul 
if the Borg assimilated you. If you were in a state of grace at the time of assimilation, your soul would remain in a state of grace no matter what they forced your body to do. And if your soul was not in a state of grace, then you would remain not in a state of grace until Judgment Day when Jesus returns. All right, uh, Dominic, thanks. I was kind of hoping that that answer would be longer, Jimmy, because I don't want to read the next question. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I don't want to do Tom, why did you do this to me? Why did Great you? Great Cyril. All right, all right. Uh, by the way, if you are offended by the word poop, uh, please change the station now. Tom asks this. Before the fall, I, before the fall, did you want Ad, me to read it for you? No, I'm going to do it. I'm, I, okay. I, I, I'm getting paid for this. I got to do it. Before the fall, did Adam and Eve have to poop? And if so, would their poop have been stinky? Or would they have had perfect poop? Or would they not have pooped at all? And the, and the digestion was perfect with no need to poop. Tom, thank you. Uh, God bless you, brother. Appreciate that question. So um, the way that Genesis presents Adam and Eve before the fall, it doesn't give us uh, a sense that they were possessors of superpowers. Now, there has been theological speculation that mm -hmm. they had superpowers and and you would need something like superpowers in order to be able to avoid the need to expel waste. Um, total conversion of matter to energy is something that is normally achievable only by colliding matter and antimatter together. And since the human body does not naturally contain antimatter, the human body would not normally be capable of total conversion of matter to energy. And as a result, uh, of it not being able to do total conversion, there will always be a residue of matter that is left over after the body has extracted what energy it can from our food. And that that residue needs to be gotten rid of. And so uh, unless they had some really amazing superpowers that uh, we're not told about, then they would have needed to poop. And presumably it would have been just like it is today. There would have been microorganisms that would have gone to work on the on the uh, detritus and caused it to emit an odor. Tom, thank you very much. Are you all in the booth? Are you laughing at me or are you laughing? Laughing at the question because it's feeling like you're laughing at me. Um, They're not laughing at you. They're laughing near you. <laughs> yes. I've never been so just viscerally opposed to the word residue before in my life. Uh, Tom, thanks for the question. Uh, this one comes from Jill. It's weird questions for Jimmy Aiken uh, this hour. Uh, okay. Uh, Jill asks, is it possible to validly baptize an unborn baby? I'm thinking of an instance where maybe the mother is dying and the baby is not developed enough to survive outside the womb. If it is not possible, does the reasoning implicitly contradict the church's teaching on life beginning its conception? If it is possible to validly baptize an unborn baby in emergency situations, then what about non-emergency situations? It seems like it would be a good idea just in case something happens before the baby is born. So it is possible to baptize unborn babies, and in fact, it has been done. It is sometimes done when there is a danger to the child who might not survive to birth. Um, in fact, it's been done for more than 121 years. And the reason I say that is because 121 years ago in 1901, 
the Holy Office, which was the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith at the time, issued a reply to a bishop who was asking when, not if, when we baptize unborn babies, can we add a small amount of the disinfectant mercury chloride to the baptismal water? So like one part in a thousand to prevent infection. And the reply from the Holy Office was yes, when you use, uh, when you baptize unborn babies, you can use a one to 1000 ratio of mercury chloride in the water to help prevent infection. Now, the reason or one of the reasons it's not done commonly is because um, we haven't been used to doing it historically because it would have been impossible to do it safely before the development of modern medicine. And even today with modern medicine, it still poses some risk and to both mother and child. And so um, it, it's not commonly done, but it can be done. And as medical technology improves and as our awareness of of pregnancy and the humanity of the unborn has improved, it may become more common in the future. In fact, I've thought about writing science fiction stories where it's normal in the future for people to be baptized before they're born. Thanks uh, very much for the question, Jill. I appreciate it. Uh, it's weird questions for Jimmy Aiken. And as you can see, you're, if you got a weird one, you're welcome to send it. You can always uh, reach us here. Radio at Catholic.com is our email address. And Edgar, the new guy, will get it. Uh, radio at catholic.com or uh, there's lots of ways people contact Jimmy Aiken as well. If you want to use one of those ways and then we'll put a little group together and Jimmy will answer the questions. Uh, and sometimes um, you do weird questions on Jimmy Aiken's mysterious world too. Yes. Yeah, sometimes uh, for fifth Fridays, we use our weird question show over on mysterious world, uh, mysterious world today. Uh, our lady of, Cabejo. Cabejo. Uh, if you're interested, the only approved apparition of Our Lady in Africa. Hear what Jimmy has to say about it at Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. Right back with more weird questions. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Blake N., Jennifer B., John G., Amanda M., and Stephen H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is also brought to you by DeliverContacts.com, offering top brand contact lenses at always low prices with free delivery. Visit DeliverContacts.com and by Rosary Army, featuring award-winning Catholic podcasts, rosary resources, videos, and the School of Mary online community, prayer, and learning platform. Learn how to make them, pray them, and give them away while growing in your faith at rosaryarmy.com and schoolofmary.com. Jimmy, oh, our weird, I wasn't want to say Jimmy Aiken's weird world, but that's not it. It's no, Jimmy it's Pauline, Pauline Dakin's weird world. Is there a thing called Pauline Dakin's weird, weird world? Well, in uh, essence, Pauline Dakin uh, was a Canadian woman uh, who uh, grew up 
was some very strange. Oh, things. I, I, I listened to that episode of Jimmy Anka's Mysterious World. Now I know who you're talking about. The Weird World. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. And she later was told that the reason that she so many strange things happened when she was growing up is because she was being protected from her father, who was a who is an organized crime leader, and that in Canada there is a whole secret organized crime uh, protection service called the Weird World. Yeah. That's one that's one worth listening to. There's a lot of good episodes. Y'all should check it out. Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. But this is this that's not what this is. This is weird questions with Jimmy Aiken on Catholic Answers Live and more weirdness to come. Here we go. Todd asked this, Jimmy. What criteria would the Catholic Church have to consider if someone wanted to marry an alien? And then there are lots of sub questions. So maybe I'll do those one at a time. What do you think? Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Would the couple have to prove they can consummate the marriage? Well, I don't know that the burden of proof would be on the couple, um, but one, you know, but one way or another, um, it would have to be proved that they are capable of consummating the marriage, because in order to have a valid marriage, you have to be able to consummate it. If it's not possible to consummate it, if there is, as the canon law says, antecedent, perpetual, incurable impotence, then um, then it won't be a valid marriage. So you do even if you choose never to consummate, you have to have the ability. Okay, Uh, would they have to come up with some way to prove that they are the equivalent of the opposite sex? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Again, I don't know that the burden of proof would fall on the couple to prove this, but um, anymore, I mean, presumably biologists would be able to look into this and so forth. But in essence, yes, um, because you can't have two persons of the same sex marrying each other. What if any child they bear might have severe disabilities because of mixing species? Well, if there really are genuinely different species then they, that have no relation to each other, then they're almost certainly not going to be able to produce children. Uh, that's a common way, actually, in biology of characterizing species of if they can produce fertile offspring together then they're the same species. But if they're not capable of producing fertile offspring together, then they are different species. Now, that's an approximation, but it's a commonly used one. Um, However, if the human and the extraterrestrial were able to produce children together, then, um, then the fact that the child might, uh, end up with birth defects would not determine the validity of the marriage because there are humans that marry each other and they have genetic predispositions that will result in birth defects for their children. Sometimes certain birth defects. I mean, it will happen if this person has a child and they have a dominant gene, not a recessive one, but a dominant gene that causes a birth defect, then uh, then at least 50 percent of their children will have that birth defect. And if they have two copies of the birth defect causing gene that's dominant, then all of their children will have the birth defect. But that doesn't stop them from being able to marry. Now, it, it does affect the question of is it reasonable or, you know, to have kids or should we have kids? But it doesn't affect the validity of the marriage. And so it wouldn't affect the validity of marriage between a human and an extraterrestrial. And finally, uh, from Todd, to that end, the church is against bestiality. So would they have to come up with some criteria to distinguish human from beast? 
Yes, the church would. Um, and the classic uh, definition, going back to Aristotle, for what a human being is, is a rational animal. And so if you're an animal and you have the gift of reason so that you can think like a human, then you would count as a human being. And that got applied at times in church history to thinking about extraterrestrials. And so you would have uh, various uh, Christian and Catholic thinkers saying, okay, well, if there are rational animals on other planets, then whatever they look like, they're humans. By Aristotle's definition, they're humans. And so you would need a criterion or set of criteria to determine is the extraterrestrial um, a, a human or a beast. Now, these days, we tend to not use Aristotle's definition in biology. In biology, we tend to use a set of criteria that are based on DNA. And presumably, the alien would, if, if they didn't have de deoxyribonucleic acid, the specific genetic information carrier that terrestrial life uses, presumably they'd have something else that carries genetic information down through their generations. And so that would make it look very much like they're not a human by a biological definition. And so the church would ultimately have to come to a conclusion about which kind of definition predominates. Is it the biological definition or the more philosophical definition that would govern this question? And that's a that's a, a question that the magisterium has not yet considered. Thanks, Todd. Weird questions for Jimmy Aiken this hour. Uh, up next, a weird question from Anne. Why do all representations of the cross depict the corpus with a wound on the right side when the heart and plural sac are on the left? Would Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go oh, ahead. Would blood and water gush forth from the right side when a spear pierced? So um, I don't I'm not an, an art historian, so I don't know the answer to this question for sure. But I suspect that it may be due to the influence of the Shroud of Turin. Uh, the Shroud of Turin, after it became well known in the Middle Ages, it had a prominent influence on Christian art. And on the shroud, the spear is depicted as going through, at least this is what I've read according to a recent study that was made of the shroud. It depicts the spear wound at, in such a way that the spear would have gone through Jesus's right lung. And artists could have seen that maybe in the early days when the shroud was more vivid than it is now, because, you know, it's 2000, depending on your, on, on your estimate, it's between a thousand and 2000 years old and things fade, images can fade over that time. So it could be that, um, that back when it was first becoming well-known in Europe, artists noticed that, oh, the spear wound seems to be on the right side of the man on the shroud. And so we're going to depict Jesus that way. In terms of would blood and water gush, gush forth from the right side, uh, when if, he, if Jesus was pierced by the spear on that side, I think the answer is yes. And there are two possible explanations for that. Now, first of all, I should mention the water in this case is really like um, like blood plasma that has where the blood is coagulated due to heart failure. And so it separates out into this clear substance that looks like water and this darker reddish substance that looks like blood. 
and that will collect either in the pleural cavity around the lungs or it will collect in the um, in the pericardial sac around the heart and so the spear could and actually i guess there are three ways that you could explain this the first one if the blood and water is in the pericardial sac around the heart and jesus's heart is more on the left side than the right side because hearts are are not really on one side or the other they're kind of in the center but they lean to the left typically one way you could explain it is if the spear goes in deep enough to get all the way to the pericardial sac and then when the spear comes out it opens up a channel allowing the blood and 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 fluid from the pericardial sac to flow out on the right side another possibility is um that uh the blood and plasma was not in the pericardial sac, but just in the pleural cavity around the lungs. And in that case, when the spear goes through his right lung, it it creates a hole into the pleural cavity. And when the spear is withdrawn, it allows the uh, blood and plasma from the pleural cavity to flow out. Um, the third option is that Jesus had a condition known as situs inversus. In situs inversus, the ordinary positions of the internal organs are flipped. And so instead of Jesus's heart being central, but primarily on the left, it would be central, but primarily on the right. And in that case, then the spear coming in through his right side would have had easy access to the pericardial sac around the heart, allowing the blood and plasma in the right-sided heart pericardial sac to flow out. Wow. All right. Uh, thanks very much, uh, Anne, for that very interesting question. There's more weird questions to come. Jimmy Aiken is our guest right back after this. I want that to be my alarm clock music. I would like to wake up to that. It would be better than the thing I have right now. Uh, that that's, can be arranged. Can it? Is, is there some yeah, way to do that? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, if you have a smart alarm clock, like an Alexa device or something like that, you can tell it to play whatever you want for your alarm. Can my iPhone do it? That's what wakes yes. me up right now. My iPhone eight with the back yeah. cracked. Yep. Uh, all right. That's cool. Maybe I might have to get one of these tech people to show me how. Uh, hey, I'm not taking calls right now. We're not taking calls right now. Kathy Gans is live. All the calls have come to us already uh, via the internets and like. And uh, Jimmy Aiken is our guest. And it's weird questions uh, for Jimmy Aiken. So if you're like, I always wanted to hear uh, a great Catholic apologist just answer the weirdest questions. Well, you just stumbled upon the show for you. Uh, Linda asks this. Do you think time travel would cause an alternate universe? I think yes. I think that's the most likely explanation. Now, if if you we're thinking about time travel where you have somebody in, let's say, the year 2022, and then they go back, they just kind of jump out of time and go back to the year 1922. So they appear in 1922, even though they weren't alive then. If the, you know, that's kind of the classic image we have when we're thinking about time travel. Um, there are you would confront what's known as the grandfather paradox. And basically, uh, so you're, let's say your grandfather is alive in 2022, but your father is not. Uh, 
well, if you kill your grandfather in 1922, your father will never be born and therefore you will never be born. Mm. And if you're never born, you wouldn't be able to go back to 1922 and kill your grandfather. And you're really so mad have, at your grandfather. Maybe deal with the family issues. Don't go through time well, travel and kill him. I mean, come on. Certainly, that's one option. Okay. But suppose someone is so mad at their grandfather they want to kill him. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, in, in that case, we'd seem to have a paradox where if you go back the, and do this, then you can't go back and do it. Hmm. So how can we how could we conceive of time travel given the possibility of this paradox? There are two principal um, explanations. The first is that there is some kind of chronological protection principle that will prevent you from being able to kill your grandfather so that the situation never arises. And this would also exclude all similar paradoxes. But it seems very hard to imagine how that would be, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, if you go back to 1922 and you're a normal functional human being, you should have the ability to point a gun at your grandfather and pull the trigger and have the gun work. It, it, it would seem to require really strange sets of coincidences to be able to prevent that yeah. from happening if you were to determine if you were determined to do it. And we don't have evidence that the universe contains mechanisms to cause those kinds of uh, coincidences to happen. So that leads us to the other interpretation, which is that when you go back to 1922 and insert yourself into the situation there, which you were not originally in, then you are essentially causing the timeline to branch. And so you're now in an alternate timeline. And if you kill your grandfather, well, it's true, your father will never be born, and therefore you will never be born in this timeline. But we don't have a paradox because you're not from this timeline. You're from a different timeline where your grandfather lived, and so you got to live, and then you came here and caused a new alternate timeline. And to my mind, that's the uh, if time travel into the past, the way we think of it is, typically is possible. I think the branching timeline or alternate universe explanation is the most sensible one. Now, there are other ways that you could conceivably travel into the past that also wouldn't result in paradoxes, but they are uh, not what we classically think of as time, time travel, travel. Yeah. like merely rewinding your timeline and then living it all again forwards with no changes. That's not really what we mean by time travel. Thank you, Linda. Thank you for that weird question. Uh, Jimmy Aiken is our guest. It's weird questions for Jimmy Aiken. Uh, Christy asks this. Now, it appears that deathbed visions are a thing that is distinct from near-death experiences and hallucinations. What implications do these discoveries have from a faith perspective? Well, they're very interesting. Now, they don't, uh, they don't affect the substance of the faith because, as Jude points out, the faith has been delivered to the saints once for all. So they're not going to tell us anything new about the faith. But... Um, there's no reason from the faith perspective to dismiss them. Uh, you know, we know that in, in, in various cases, it, it, we know it's possible even for people to come back from, from death. That happened with Lazarus. It happened with the widow of Nain's son. 
presumably they might have been able to report some of their experiences. Um, and it also happens, as we mentioned, with near-death experiences where someone is clinically dead and then comes back and they can report on their experiences. And we have all of these accounts of people who are either dying or in danger of dying, and they begin to experience these visions. Um, these are very well documented. They happen very frequently. In fact, uh, an uncle of mine who just died recently, a few months back, uh, he, when he was also having a, um, a an encounter, he didn't actually die that time, but he was having a, an episode where he was in danger of death, and he began to report uh, having deathbed visions. And my aunt was there to talk to him about it. And interestingly, the content of the visions faded in his mind after a few days. He could remember the gist of what he saw, that it was really good and really beautiful, but he could no longer remember the details after a few days. In any event, we have this, um, we have this widely reported phenomenon and my attitude is we should take phenomena at face value until you have reason to uh, question it, until you have evidence that it's not what it appears to be. And in these situations, they are distinguishable from ordinary hallucinations. I mean, not in every single case, but broadly speaking, they, they are distinguishable from regular hallucinations. And so I would say they should be understood as what they appear to be. They're some kind of communication uh, with the afterlife as a person is approaching death either directly by God's grace or through something natural that God has built into human nature or through the initiative of spirits on the other side, like angels or departed loved ones. There's some kind of information transfer between what's on the other side of life and death from what's on this side, and people are able to have some experience of these things that I don't see any reason to question it for being what it presents itself to be, which is a glimpse into the afterlife. Uh, Christy, thanks. Very good question. I appreciate it. Uh, Brian asks us, it's weird questions for Jimmy Aiken. Brian asks this, if heaven is not a place, as some theologians claim, how can there be two bodies there of Jesus and Mary? Well, okay. So notice the premise, if it's not a place. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're starting with. Um, the theologians who advocate this view will tend to point out, and it's actually a kind of related to another somewhat more sophisticated view. The more sophisticated view says um, the essence of heaven is spiritual union with God. But that doesn't mean there's no place where you and your body exist when you're in spiritual union with God. And so that, to my mind, is the logical explanation. Even if there's no specific region that is called heaven, um, if you are in perfect spiritual union with God, wherever your body is, you can be said to be in heaven because the essence of it is being in spiritual union with God, not being in a particular location. Um, and there's then another possible view, and I don't know this may be advocated by some theologians, though I don't know any particular ones off the top of my head, who would simply say there is no spatial location that your body is in at all 
when you are in spiritual union with God. I don't know anybody who would say that. And if someone did say that, I would be skeptical of it because it is a matter of biblical teaching and church teaching that we do continue to have our bodies in the resurrection and that Jesus and Mary have their bodies with them now. And so that would mean that wherever they are, it even if matter is not stretched out in space and time the way it is in our universe, they it wherever they are now is at least capable of receiving matter and keeping it together in some form so that it remains a single body for Jesus and a single body for Mary. So um, it may or may not be have the dimensions that we do. The physics there may not work the same way, but it's at least capable of receiving uh, bodies that are native to our universe. Thanks, Brian. This one comes from Tom. According to Professor Hawking, we can't have free will if there is no God. He said that since we are purely material beings, all our thoughts are nothing more than brain chemistry. But brain chemistry is controlled by the laws of physics, not by us. If we have no control over our thoughts, then we never make any choice. However, when we examine what goes on in our heads, we know that we do, in fact, make choices. Question, isn't this then compelling evidence for the existence of God? Well, I tend to be I tend to I, I, I tend to be rather strict when I'm looking at arguments for the existence of God, and I try to test them pretty rigorously. And in this case, it seems to me that it, this would be better configured as an argument that more than mere matter exists, because it doesn't, we do have the experience of free will. And it doesn't seem obvious how we would have free will if we if our our brain functions were purely the product of matter and so putting those two things together matter doesn't doesn't seem to explain free will nevertheless we have evidence of free will that would to my mind suggest that we have evidence that there is more than matter but uh -huh. that doesn't mean specifically god it's consistent with the existence of God, but I wouldn't say it proves the existence of God. I think you can prove God's existence on other grounds, like why is there matter to begin with? But if we're just looking at this argument from free will, I would say it gives us evidence that there is more to reality than just the material. Uh Thank you very much. Let me just remind myself who that question was from. That was from Tom. Uh, thanks uh, very, very much. Appreciate the question. Uh, I'm going to go to. Um, do we have time? Yeah, we got time. I'm going to go to Joe. In terms of the theory of infinite possible futures, are there any infinite numbers of past timelines or if all possibilities combine into one single past timeline? Uh, do you understand that question? Yeah. So um, there are an infinite number of ways things could go in the future from this point forward. And there are therefore also an infinite number of things that could have led up to the current state of things in the cosmos. So, so God knows an infinite number of things that could happen from here on out. And he knows an infinite number of things that could have led up to now. Um, now, what evidence might we have from a scientific perspective that any of those would be real? Well, actually, there has been some thought given to this in the physics community. In the 20th century, there's a very famous physicist named uh, Richard Feynman, 
And he pointed out that if you um, that in calculating the probability of where a particle will end up when we take a measurement of it, kind of the best way to calculate that is to think of every possible trajectory the particle could have taken to get to that destination and and then do a summation of those different trajectories and that gives you the best estimate. This is known as his sum over histories model and on some interpretations of quantum mechanics, all of those different paths actually happen. And we in the present moment are sitting at the sum of all the possible paths and all the possible futures. Well, all the possible past. Past, I got you. Led up to now. I got you. Now, there's more to say about that, but there's the music, so we may have to talk about that more on a future show. Well, that'll be fun, because that's an interesting question. And lots more uh, weird questions to get to next time we do Weird Questions with Jimmy Aiken. As I said, you can always just shoot us an email, radio at catholic.com, or reach out to Jimmy, one of the ways you're already in contact with him, maybe. Uh, Jimmy Aiken, thanks very much. Thank you. It's always a lot of fun. We'll see you next time, God willing, right here. Catholic Answers Live. So that's it from us this time. What are your theories about the topics we covered in the weird questions that Jimmy answered today? You can let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Jimmy Akins Mysterious World Facebook page, sending us an email to feedback at mysterious.fm, sending a tweet to at mys underscore world visiting the starquest discord community at sqpn.com slash discord or calling our mysterious feedback line at 619-738-4515 that's 619-738-4515 and i want to say a special word of thanks to oasis studio 7 for the video and animation work they did on this episode uh looking forward to the new year if you have any video, animation, or design work you need done, you can hire them to do it for you. So check out what they do. Look at one of the Mysterious World videos on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Jimmy Aiken. While you're there, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe so that by engaging, you tell YouTube that the video was engaging. So it'll show it to other people and you can help the channel grow that way. I am trying to grow my channel, so please do subscribe and be sure to hit the bell notification so that you always receive a notification when I have a new video, whether it's Mysterious World or one of the others that I'm usually releasing several times a week now. So, Jimmy, what's our next episode going to be about? Next week, we're going to be looking at disturbing near-death experiences. There's a common perception that all NDEs are blissful, wonderful experiences where you get a taste of heaven. But that's not true. There are a surprising number of them that contain difficult, disturbing elements, and some people feel like they've just come back from hell. So next week, we're going to be balancing the scales and giving you the facts about what near-death experience researchers have actually found. Excellent. Folks, be sure to check out the Mysterious World bookstore at MysteriousWorldStore.com for links to all the books and videos that Jimmy mentions in the show. You can find links to Jimmy's resources from our discussion on our show notes at mysterious.fm slash 291. And remember, to help us continue to produce the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Yakin's Mysterious World is also brought to you by... 
Tim Shevlin's personal fitness training for Catholics, providing spiritual and physical wellness programs and daily accountability check-ins. Strengthen yourself to help further God's kingdom. Work out for the right reason with the right mindset. Learn more by visiting fitcatholics.com and by The Grady Group, a Catholic company bringing financial clarity to their clients across the United States, using safe money options to produce reasonable rates of return for their clients. Learn more at gradygroupinc.com and by Great Lakes Customs Law, helping importers and individuals with seizures, penalties, and compliance with U.S. Customs Matters throughout the United States. Visit GreatLakesCustomsLaw.com. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World on StarQuest, and Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year.